Hello, Grace family. Um, my name is Adam Spees, and uh, I hope this finds you well. Um, if we thought about it long enough, I think all of us, if not most of us, could think of a kind act shown to us. I remember when uh, my wife and I were first married, uh, we spent a year overseas as volunteers with an organization in South Africa. We had a wonderful, uh, meaningful uh, time of kind of investing ourselves uh, for the sake of the gospel. And, um, but there were lonely times. There were times when uh, we had the longing of home. You know, waking up Christmas morning in a hotel trying to make it special, but wishing, desiring to be around family, or on Easter, uh, heading out to a restaurant to have a meal. Um, and at times, our quarters uh, weren't all that uh, warm or welcoming. We, uh, for the first six months, lived in kind of a cinder block room uh, that only had a bed. We lived out of a suitcase, and um, our second uh, location left a little to be desired. But throughout the year, uh, we met many wonderful people. And uh, there, were one, there was one family in particular, the Snyder family. We'd only met them a time or two uh, at church. We ended up traveling a fair amount, so we were never really just at one location. And uh, after meeting them two or three times, they invited us over for a meal and then uh, later to spend a weekend. And uh, I remember that weekend at their home. Uh, it's been many years uh, since that time, and I can still picture the room. I can picture uh, the table uh, where we had wonderful conversation, uh, a good meal. Uh, it was the first time uh, that I had watched the television. Yeah, we had DVDs and would watch things on our computer. But uh, I woke up at 2 a.m. Uh, to watch the Cavs get trounced by the Orlando Magic. It's hard to go away for a year and miss uh, the sports and things that remind you of home. But... Uh, I was struck by this act of kindness to, to strangers, to foreigners. They didn't know us well, uh, but their graciousness, their hospitality, their desire to get to know us, to want us to relax, uh, that weekend left a big impact on me and my wife as well. Many of us maybe have had similar moments or can think of kind acts, gestures shown to us, because uh, this desire of kindness is, is something that we all have, something that we, many of us, enjoy expressing. We are in a conversation where we're unpacking the fruit of the Spirit, and we're kind of right in the middle of nine characteristics that Paul gives written by the Holy Spirit to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, today, kindness that we're going to be talking about. I want to do two things with us today, two questions that we'll seek to answer together. What is kindness and what motivates one to show kindness? Kindness is a term that we see everywhere in preparation uh, for this message, I started to notice it on every one of my kids' clothing. 
I dressed my son uh, this morning as I'm filming and be kind is written on his shirt. I went to my parents' house and uh, they had a placard when you walked in, scatter kindness, right? It seems to be the cultural norm, the theme of uh, a society that often can be very self-centered and rude, that there is this strong call to show kindness. Kindness isn't necessarily a new phenomenon, though, right? Uh, If you're my age or older, maybe you remember uh, going to Blockbuster Video to rent a VHS tape, right? Uh, And they had, for a slogan, uh, for many years, be kind, rewind. Some of you watching this may have no idea what I'm talking about because it would take at the end of a VHS tape about five minutes to uh, rewind the tape for the next customer, right? And apparently we were so self-absorbed in the late 80s, the 90s that uh, we needed admonished to have common courtesy uh, to rewind our tape for someone else. But today, uh, we see organizations with a mission to spread kindness. There's an organization called Life Vest Inside, whose mission is to promote kindness. They have YouTube videos. They have curriculum for schools. They uh, create avenues for the private sector as well to promote random acts of kindness and a desire to uh, grow a culture and society of kindness. Did you know that we have a World Kindness Day? Mark your calendars, November 13th. We celebrate a World Kindness Day. Now, what is interesting to unpack is what each of us mean when we say kindness. Because... For culture, kindness is a core value that is expressed in different ways, with different understanding, with different interpretation. Kindness as a core can be determined as being agreeable, being pleasant with one another, affirming acceptance is nice, but also positive characteristics. These aren't all negative and positive, right? Showing compassion, having tolerance and empathy to one another, right? That kindness is this core value that's expressed in ways that others interpret kindness should be shown. Now here I've shown the tomato as uh, the fruit here of kindness, right? And you may have been curious why the tomato, Well, the tomato is actually botanically a fruit, but it's one that uh, many of us, probably having grown up, maybe learned it as a vegetable. I know I did. Did you know um, it was such a kind of hot topic that in 1893, the U.S. Supreme Court decided that even though it had the elements of a fruit, you know, uh, a plant ovary with seeds in the middle, that... It was most used or understood as a vegetable, so they deemed it a vegetable, even though botanically uh, it is a fruit. But we see 
here, what's absent from this definition is one word, and that is love. Because what we have in the definition of the fruit of the Spirit is that love is at the core. In the expression, the characteristics of love, as we kind of understand or experience the fruit, is what we've talked about over these last few weeks. Right? We see this in Paul's description in 1 Corinthians 13, when he says, love is patient, love is kind. He goes on to say it doesn't envy, doesn't boast, that doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. We see the difference that um, here, kindness is connected with love. When kindness is divorced from love, it becomes insincere. At times, it's an imitation. At best, it's bland tolerance. At worst, it can be hatred with a smile. Kindness without love is not true kindness at all. What we see when we unpack Galatians 5 is this Greek word, krestotes, right? Krestos. Uh, it is an uh, action-filled word that means kindness as our interpretation. It's one associated with philanthropy, generosity, charity, compassion, friendliness, benevolence, Kindness is love in action. We see that kindness is the result, the fruition of love being expressed towards one another. I think there's a beautiful story in John chapter 8 that we see kind of this expression of biblical kindness that Jesus shows, uh, in particular, this woman. The story is um, Jesus is having a Bible study, and uh, it's, he's at the temple courts. It's dawn. It's early morning, and some gather. I would assume that um, it's probably a rather peaceful environment setting where Jesus is teaching. They wake up early. They're interested in what he has to say. And there's a disruption, commotion, because... The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day, they caught a woman in bed with a man. And they drag her out in the midst of the act. And they bring her before Jesus. You can imagine um, the shame that this woman feels that her secret has been revealed. And Jesus kind of gathers and we see him sitting to now around, it's probably gotten a lot noisier and angrier and frustrating. And this crowd has become an executing mob. They're running to Jesus saying, by law, she has broken the law. She deserves death to be stoned. They have their stones in hand, and they kind of gathered, and they're wanting to see what Jesus' response. Jesus moves from the posture of sitting to standing to now stooping, and he begins to write in the dirt. John doesn't record what Jesus wrote. I'd love to know, right? Wouldn't you as well? 
But we see kind of the tenor and the tone change. And we see Jesus say, if anyone's without sin, may they be the first to throw the stone, to cast the stone. We see one by one this executing mob become an exiting mob. And we see that this woman is left just with Jesus. And you can imagine maybe the pain, the confusion, the shame that she felt there with Jesus. How would he respond? We see at the end of John 8 in this story that Jesus straightens up and he asks her, woman, look around you. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Right? Jesus knew his purpose. John 3 records, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And in John 3, 17, it says that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through him. Jesus knew his purpose. That it was not to bring condemnation, but to offer salvation. I often think, how would cultural kindness of um, understood or maybe what expectation may they have had in this environment? Would it have been just to send her off? Would it, would it have been to be dismissive of her act? Of course, there would have been no condemnation shown because there's tolerance and affirmation. But right after Jesus says, I don't condemn you, he says, go, leave your life of sin. Sin no more, right? Change your heart. It's an invitation to repentance, an invitation to change who she is and what she's done. We see that Jesus can embody truth and at the same time express kindness. Because in John 1, it says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I think for us, some try to be nice at the expense of being convicted of the truth. Some hold the idea of kindness and conviction as incompatible, that it's impossible. In a culture that's rapidly changing, they want to dismiss holding claims of truth that may not uh, come across as loving or as caring, right? And this camp in particular struggles to see that kindness can be also expressed along with truth. I find it interesting that all throughout Scripture, we're called, admonished to express kindness, but never niceness. Right? Kindness is not a soft word. It's not frail. It's not weak. It's fierce. That kindness is all over the Bible. But there's another side of the camp, too, that some are convicted of truth at the expense of expressing a caring heart and attitude. Right? That truth is always grounded in grace, in love, affection, compassion, desire. 
that often truth expressed without the right tone and manner and heart does significant damage. It's not fully truth as Jesus embodied it. Grace and truth, they work together. They go in unison. I think it's easy to forget that we see in Romans 2, 4 that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance, that brings about transformation. It's understanding his character and his love and his grace along with his truth. Did you know that you and I can be kind to people who we disagree with? It's possible. In a culture that promotes um, confrontation and being rude and responding and uh, having the upper hand, we can be gracious. We can be kind. Right? Jesus, when he's on the cross and in the midst of humiliation and angst and anger, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That you and I, we can be kind and convicted, speaking truth in love. Kindness isn't just with our words. It's in our actions. It's uh, going and being present with those who are in need, those who are hurting, right? It's being a companion at times. But we see it very clearly within our words. That's why in the book of Ephesians, Paul is kind of transitioning in chapters 4 through 6, the second half of the book, about what it looks like to live along with the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. And he says, instead, speak the truth in love, that it's possible for you and I to convey God's truth, his desire, his character in a spirit of love. He goes on later the chapter to kind of clarify for you and I what this looks like. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. This isn't just bad words. These are words that are rotten and not useful. That's the idea of unwholesome. Words that undermine trust. They cause in injury. They hurt others. Words that sadden the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, the verse right after says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That our unwholesome words sadden God's spirit because of the tone, the attitude, the posture we have to others who are made in the image of God. But Paul goes on to say, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Whenever we think we uh, are constructing or building something, often there's a blueprint, there's a plan, there's uh, a standard, a desire, right? That for us, in order to be helpful to others, we must know the blueprint for life, God's desire, that we can build others up according to the needs, you know it's possible with the Spirit's help and assistance to understand the needs of others that we're interacting with? I'm fascinated by it, right? That we, in the right tone and manner, with the posture of listening, with asking the right questions, of uh, picking up on nonverbal cues, we can understand the needs of others 
and our words can be a response to the needs that others have. Right? Because we see here an example of this in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Warning sounds strong, right? It doesn't sound loving to many who have a different definition of kindness, right? But we are told that laziness, disruption, those are diseases that necessitate a warning. But we have a different approach to others, right? Those who are discouraged, discouragement, they need a dose of inspiration. Those who are weak, they need tender care. All conditions need patience, which we talked about last week. Mother Teresa says, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. May you and I in all of our venues, in conversation and social media and emails and text messages, may we use that grid. Is this helpful? according to the needs that it may benefit those who listen. Because our words are attached to our attitude, our heart, our desire of what God says about others, that we can be kind and convicted at the same time. Now, once we've understood what kindness is, we must understand the motivation to show kindness. We must attach the why with the what. I think of as a parent or investing in trying to disciple and train my kids, right? It's not as good to modify behavior, but I want to train the heart. I want them to understand why we do certain things. The same is true in why we should express kindness. I read an article um, by a uh, MBA, Hillary Stone, uh, and she was writing about the motivation of kindness. And uh, she had two terms that maybe aren't as familiar, but altruism, uh, that is care for the welfare of others. These are intrinsic motivations. And then egoism, right? We often think of that maybe necessarily as bad, but having a personal vested interest, right? And when we stop to think through, she unpacked and uh, gave us some motivations that are altruistic in nature and egotistic in nature. And we see that this desire to express kindness has benefits, right? For the sake of, of the welfare concern of others, it makes other people happy. Well, of course, no duh. But it's not just to the one who receives kindness, it's to others that are in the vicinity of observing kindness. That just observing the act of kindness brightens the mood of individuals that have the opportunity to see and experience that. It improves relationships, right? It fortifies communities, develops strong bonds, trust, Right? Uh, I often think for many of us that desire friendship, right? We must first be a good friend in order to experience friendship, right? That there is this idea of being kind just improves relationships. 
that it changes one's perspective. Empathy is often attached to kindness, and that means placing ourselves in another's shoes and circumstance. And being empathetic, especially to people in hard, difficult situations, helps us have a change of perspective about our own circumstances in our own situations, right? But there's also egotistic, personal benefits of why we should express kindness. And we see that these aren't necessarily unbiblical, right? Um, that it's not always for personal gain, but Proverbs says uh, in eleven seventeen that a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man, he hurts himself. That kindness gives us a sense of purpose. There's uh, an author, Adam Grant. He's a Wharton professor. He wrote a book, Give and Take While Helping Others Drives Our Success. He says that it gives us a sense of purpose, that the effects of self-directed, impactful giving include, listen to this, increased life satisfaction, self-esteem, connectedness, purpose, energy, as well as decreased depression, right? That there are great benefits, that it gives us opportunities for mutual gain, that those not for the purpose of uh, doing every act with uh, reciprocity, right? A desire that someone else would show us that, but it builds strong relationships and networks and connections. Think of this in the workplace, that environments that are kind and loving and caring for one another, they're more productive, they're more creative, they have lower turnover, they have lower healthcare expenses. But kindness, it's also good for our health. It makes us happier. By uh, expressing kindness, it triggers oxycotton. It improves health, it generates feelings of emotional warmth, boosts moods, and counteracts the effects of stress, the hormone cortisol. Additionally, uh, neuroscience reveals that helping others increases our dopamine levels. Psychologists call this a helper's high. Now, we may look at this list and be convinced that um, there are many reasons or motivation intrinsically of why we should express kindness. But many would look to extrinsic, external um, reasons why one should express kindness. I don't know if you've been in conversations and maybe heard others say, well, hey, uh, aren't all religions basically the, the same? Like they promote this golden rule, which is interpreted by many as be kind to others. I know Norman Rockwell felt that way when he thought of kindness as this expression of the golden rule. He says, He'd been studying, right? And the thing that all major religions have is this golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Not always the same word, but the same meaning, right? That there would be in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 12, a verse out of the words of Jesus that basically gets where this idea of the golden rule. But the interesting thing is that Christianity differs 
in how it's stated in other religions. It's a subtle but a stark difference. See, Christianity, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. It's a positive affirmation stated that do to others what you would hope desire is done to you, but other Eastern religions stated negatively. The idea of being very passive, of don't hurt others, not this action or call or desire or command to love, but to keep negative behavior in check. You see that there is internal and extrinsic motivations for why one should offer kindness. But I think in a story, we see the one lasting response of why you and I should express kindness. It's one where Jesus is at a dinner party. It's a different setting than this woman in John 8 where he's teaching a Bible study initially to those who are interested in what he has to say. But this environment is a Greek symposium. And uh, Jesus has been invited to the house of uh, one of the elite, a rich, a guy by the name of Simon. And uh, he's been invited over for a dinner party, but to have dialogue about uh, religion and truth. And uh, now, this house and uh, life in general was more public than private. And so as Jesus goes on, others in the town, they know about this event. They're looking forward to the event. And Jesus would have been kind of at the center of this, surrounded by the religiously elite, but uh, further outside would have been guests and those in the community that were interested and intrigued by the dialogue and the conversation that was to take place. And it says that as the dinner is approaching, that someone breaks the protocol. They step out of the shadows and into the limelight. They make their way down from the fringes to the center of the activity. And it's a woman. It's a promiscuous woman, a woman of the city. It's a woman that everyone knows her history. It's a woman who has an alabaster jar of perfume around her neck that denotes her profession, her livelihood, her significance. And she comes from the corridor to the center of the conversation. And she goes directly to Jesus. Now, maybe she had observed Jesus' arrival and uh, customs that hadn't taken place. And she goes to Jesus. She lets her hair down, which is scandalous at the time. And she goes to Jesus and she's weeping and crying. She's wetting with her tears his feet. Because as was custom to a distinguished rabbi that you would wash his feet when he'd enter the home. She's pouring perfume that wasn't done, that wasn't given to Jesus. We see this extravagant response of love. Now what is interesting as much as this woman's response is the crowd is looking to Jesus 
How does he respond, right? How does he handle this disruption? Now, Simon, he gets a bad rap, right? And partially, rightfully so, but he doesn't speak out. Jesus confronts him based on what he's thinking. And Jesus says, Simon, let me tell you a story, right? There's two people, one owed two years worth of wages, another two months. They both had been forgiven of the debt. Who would love, who would appreciate that more? Well, Simon thinks about it probably for a quick moment, does the math, and of course, the one who was forgiven two years debt. Simon, exactly. I came into your home, you didn't treat me with with anything significant, right? But this woman, she has placed her livelihood, uh, expensive perfume, she has wet uh, my feet with her tears, with her hair, right? She understands my love and who I am and what I've come to do. It is in response, her extravagant gift of kindness is response to the kindness that she's embraced and shown. And Jesus says at the end of Luke 7, it says, You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Not because she deserved it, but out of grace, as a result, her response showed her salvation and understanding of Jesus. And he says, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Because this woman in the story, she could live with true kindness, this extravagant expression of love because she had been struck by the kindness that Jesus had showed her. We're not privy to what took place maybe before this encounter. Right? But we know that this woman, as a response to her understanding of God's kindness, lived with gratitude, with grace, with a desire to express what she first experienced. Because what is truth for you and I is that this is a story of contrast. Right? Until we see ourselves as the prostitute in the story, we will never experience the kindness of God. If we are self-righteous like Simon and the Pharisees and think that we can earn our way, we may give kindness when it benefits ourselves or kindness on our own terms in order to earn something from someone else or maybe thinking expressing kindness earns something from God. But Titus 3.3 says it well, at one time we too, Adam, others watching this, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. None of us are righteous. None of us deserve God's grace. We lived in malice, envy, being hated and hating one another. Because our sin had enslaved us, we didn't obey God. We didn't live in response to the way that he desired. 
But when the kindness and love of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done. Christianity spells done. Other religions spell do. What Jesus is offering us through his gospel is the forgiveness of sins by his work on the cross. That experience radically transforms us. Understood properly, we experience his grace and goodness and kindness shown first to us that when we were still enemies, Christ died for us. It's this kindness, his mercy that saves us by the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out generously through Jesus. So that having been justified by his grace, it is a free gift of salvation. We might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You see, it doesn't work hard to live by guilt in order to express kindness. It's not about gritting it out. But kindness and the primary motivation is a response. Understanding the kindness that was first shown to us. Living with gratitude, with understanding, with um, a sensitivity to the kindness that was shown to us. Now, when I think of the fruit of the Spirit. John 15 talks about being connected to the vine. That if our foundation is in Christos, the Messiah, Jesus, then the outcome is the fruit of the Spirit. Right? That it is kindness, benevolence, compassion shown to others that only rooted in Christos are we able to respond to others with an act of kindness? That Christos fools our kindness. That kindness should always be a response to Jesus, not an act of reciprocity. It's not enough just to avoid, like other religions say, of harming one another. But we are called to show kindness even when it isn't shown to us. We are called not to react, but to respond differently. Kindness is most clearly seen when the return is not guaranteed. Jesus enables you and I to express kindness in even some of the darkest, most challenging, difficult circumstances. Kindness doesn't mean being taken advantage of, but it's clearly giving others what they don't deserve at times, right? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, it's something supernatural. It's something that we can't manufacture on ourselves, that you and I are able to express kindness because we've understood and embraced the kindness that was first shown to us. Father, I pray that first and foremost, we to understand the cost, the depth of your kindness. Because of your love for us, it motivated you to die in our place. And Lord, I, I pray that as we seek to express that kindness, that we would hold to your definition, that we wouldn't live according to others' definition or kindness, or at times maybe even our own 
but as we seek to express it, that you would be our core motivation, that we would live in response to what you first done for us. Lord, we need help. Some of us are in hard, difficult situations where you're calling us to endure, to, to be patient, to express kindness when our kindness um, isn't returned. And Lord, you know, you see all. We can have that confidence and assurance that you're with us, that you guide us, that you lead us. Lord, may we first experience the depth of your kindness and live in response to what you've done for us. Amen.